please turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, where we will read verses 1 to 12. First Peter chapter 1, verse 1, this is God speaking to us this morning. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling by the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a living, lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time wherein ye greatly rejoice though now for a season if need be ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honour and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, yet believing ye rejoice, with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Amen. And may the Lord bless the public reading of his holy word. In our first sermon on angels, we discovered that though they are the most excellent creatures, they worship and adore Jesus Christ because of his supreme beauty and glory. The angels, when Christ came into the world, God commanded them in Hebrews 1, let them worship him. And then in Hebrews chapter 12, it reveals something astounding. When the New Testament church gathers and assembles for worship. An innumerable company of angels join with us and praise Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If we are ever unmotivated to come to worship, if we are struggling to be stirred up in worship, let us remember this. When we assemble, it is heaven on earth. God is here. The Son is here. The Spirit is here. 
an innumerable company of angels are here with us. Wonderful motivation for public worship. Our second subject is the university of angels. The university of angels. The Apostle Peter is writing to a suffering, afflicted and persecuted church. So he wants to encourage them in their faith. So in chapter 1, verses 1 to 12, he gives no commands, but statement after statement to encourage them. In verse 1, he says, you're pilgrims and strangers, which means your home is in heaven. Verse 2, they are elect by the Father through the Spirit by the Son, Jesus Christ. Believers are blessed because they have a living hope. This hope is heaven which is incorruptible, undefiled and fades not away. Every believer in Christ, you are going to be preserved to the end by God because we're kept by the power of God and that power never fails. He says that you may be experiencing trials of heaviness but know this, your trial and suffering is not pointless. But your faith is being strengthened so that when Christ comes he will praise your faith. Then he says, I want you to know how amazing and great your salvation is. The prophets of old looked forward to the fulfillment of their prophecies and you live in those very times and they did not. And your salvation is so great and wonderful, the Angels desire to look into it. And it is, of course, to this last phrase in verse 12, the angels desire to look into salvation. This is what we want to consider this morning. And we'll consider this phrase under three headings. One, the desire of the angels. Two, the study of the angels. Three, the lessons of the angels. So first of all, the desire of the angels. Peter clearly says here that the angels have a desire. Desire is the will longing for something to satisfy it. It could be longing to satisfy the mind, the heart, the body, the soul. It could be someone who's lonely and therefore desires companionship. Someone who's sad and they are desiring happiness. Someone who's restless. They desire peace. Desire is the will, longing for something to satisfy it. And the word here for desire is not an ordinary word to desire, but means a strong impulse, strong longing for, a fervent and earnest desire for something. So it's a very strong word. It's used in Luke 16.21, where... Lazarus is so starving. It says he is desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. So he's not just a bit peckish and hungry. He's desiring, he's fervent, he's longing to be satisfied in his hunger. And just the crumbs would satisfy him. Or it's used by Jesus Christ in Luke twenty-two fifteen. You remember how Jesus Christ was very aware his hour had come. You're very aware how sorrow, John tells us in chapter 12, filled him. You know how much he loved 
loved his disciples. And he knows that this is going to be the very last Passover meal on earth with his beloved friends. And what does he say in Luke 22, 15? I desire, with desire, to eat this Passover you. So not just an ordinary desire, a strong, fervent, earnest desire to eat with his friends. So here the angels have this strong impulse, this fervent and earnest desire to satisfy something. The angels desire to look into. Look means here to investigate, to analyze, to examine, to study. The picture of the word is extremely vivid and telling. The word literally means to stoop down and gaze with outstretched necks. Like, imagine something grabs your curiosity and you you can't really see it clearly, can you? So you're going to stoop down, you're going to stretch out your necks and with all your abilities you want to see what's happening. That's the word. And it's used of Peter, John and Mary Magdalene when they find out the news that he has gone from the grave. He's not there anymore. He is risen. They have such a desire to investigate and examine the word used here as they stoop down and gaze with outstretched necks. For example, Luke 24, 12. Peter arose and ran to the sepulchre and stooping down, same word, he beheld the linen clothing. Or John 25, where it says, John, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothing. Or John 20, 11, Mary stood without the sepulchre, weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulchre. This is not just a mere glance. They want to know the facts. They want to know the information. So they're stooping down with outstretched necks, investigating, studying, and examining for Jesus Christ and his resurrection. And so this teaches us that these angels have a longing heart that cannot be satisfied unless they intensely study and investigate. Now, what is this intense longing to investigate? What's the object? These things. What are these things? Well, if you read the context, it's very easy to see. It starts with the phrase at the end of verse 9. The salvation of your souls. And then Peter describes the salvation of your souls. He says it's a salvation which the prophet searched and it's described as the grace that should come unto you. And these prophets looked for this grace and it is the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Verse 11. And this salvation has come to you, the believers, by the preaching of the word and by the Holy Ghost being sent down from heaven. These things, salvation, the grace of God, the sufferings and glory of Christ, and the church receiving this salvation by the Holy Spirit being poured out. These are the things that the angels have an intense longing to study and examine. They are curious beings. They're intrigued. And therefore they study salvation. Now why? Why do the 
angels have such a desire to study salvation? We could give so many reasons, but simply for um, lack of time, we'll just give two reasons why. And the first reason is because the mysteries of salvation reveal God more than all his other works. God cannot be known directly. God cannot be known in his essence. 1 Timothy 1, 1 Timothy 6, he dwells in light unapproachable. He is infinite and incomprehensible and no creature, heavenly or earthly creature, can ever know God directly in his essence. He's too great and glorious. But God has truly made himself known through his works. Through the work of creation, we can learn of his glory, his existence, and his power. Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God. Romans 1.20, the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. And God also makes himself known through his works of providence. You can know God's goodness by simply looking at providence. Acts 14, 17. Nevertheless, God left not himself without witness in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. So you can look at providence you have food, you have a good harvest, you have family, you have friends, you have all these of work, you have uh, uh, skills and talents and so on and so forth. You can say God is good. But the work of creation, the work of providence is very, very limited. You cannot know the Trinity through providence or creation. You cannot know his grace of salvation through creation of providence. Much of who God is cannot be learned from creation or providence. It is the work of salvation which completely reveals God. This is why the New Testament uses the word mystery. Mystery. The Greek word mystery means something that is hidden in God and cannot be known, but is revealed in salvation through the Holy Scriptures. And if you look at a, a, a concordance and just type in the word mystery, you'll see all the uses of it. Let me just give me two examples. Romans 16.25 now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel, the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began. So you cannot know the gospel, you cannot know salvation, you can't know, know God, except it be revealed to you through salvation in Christ by the scriptures. Or Ephesians chapter 1, where it speaks of the Father and his love, election, adoption, the Son redeeming us, uh, the Spirit sealing us, and the revelation of his will to us. How can you know that? Not creation, not providence, but through the mystery of salvation. Ephesians 1, 9, having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to the good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself. And so, because the angels have a desire to know God better and more richer and deeper, they study salvation. Because the mysteries of salvation reveal him more than creation or providence. And it's the same for us as human beings. We have a limited knowledge of God 
through creation and providence. You can know, you don't have to be a Christian to know that there's a God. We live in a world of false religions and idols, of course. Where did they get that knowledge from? From a natural knowledge through creation. Held down in sin and unrighteousness and twisted, but still they have a knowledge. People can recognize this providence. They can recognize that God is good in providence. But neither of these revelations are given to know God best. It is through salvation. And therefore, any one of us who wants to know God more, yes, you discover creation. Yes, you discover him through providence. But ultimately and best through his salvation. Second reason why they desire. The angel's knowledge is experimental. Experimental means it's not just given to you. You have to learn it for yourself. When the angels were created, he did not place in them a complete knowledge of who he was. God does give supernatural revelation to angels, just like he does to prophets. But he does not give a complete knowledge of himself. The angels' knowledge is experimental, which means they must learn and grow from their own study. So if the angels want to know God more, they can't just sit about doing nothing. They must look into these things, study these things, examine these things. And it's the same for you and me. There is a natural knowledge of God by creation. Romans 1 is clear. But we, if we want to know God, must grow and learn and study and examine for ourselves. And this is a great encouragement for new or young Christians. I remember when I was a new Christian and everyone just seemed to know everything. And you think you're never going to know anything because everyone knows too much. And then you grow and you learn, well, they, don't, they weren't like born again. They woke up one day and they have a whole theology and experience in their heads. It doesn't happen like that. They had to learn and grow in an ordinary way. And that's encouraging for us. We, you, can know God through your own growth as you learn and study him through salvation. So this is the desire of the angels. They have a longing to know God more and therefore they intensely long to study and examine salvation. But secondly, the study of the angels. What exactly are they studying to discover God? Well, if you like, Peter has given us three examples. He's given us three courses in the doctrine of salvation for the university of angels. And the first course they take is the salvation that is by grace. In verse 10, it speaks of salvation, which is described as the grace that should come unto you. Salvation here is the the full-orbed idea of the word. The negative and the positive. Being delivered from sin, from guilt, from wrath, and from eternal punishment in hell. And delivered unto, positively, Delivered unto God, delivered unto reconciliation, delivered unto justification, delivered unto the full forgiveness of sins, unto adoption as sons and daughters of God, unto being sanctified by the Spirit, unto glorification and happiness in the presence of God in heaven forever and ever. And it's through the salvation that God's grace shines forth. It is through salvation that God's sovereign, free, and undeserving goodness is revealed. The angels could not discover God's grace through creation or through providence. Therefore, they go to salvation to understand and know God's perfection of grace. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 2 
it speaks of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is described by revelation made known unto me the mystery. Grace is a mystery. Something hidden in God which cannot be known, but revealed through salvation in the scriptures. And think of the angel's personal experience of that. In Isaiah 6, it reveals that the angels are in the heavenly throne room. And in the heavenly throne room, both in um, Isaiah 6 and is it Revelation 4 as well, what's the, what's the one attribute that's on the tip of their tongues? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. His separation from sin and his otherness, his purity, his perfection, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And now we have Adam and Eve in the garden. And they fall. They sin against God. And who is charged with keeping the presence of God and not permitting sinners access to God? Angels. Genesis chapter 3, verse 24. So God drove out the man and placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Angels know, man, do not enter. Do not come here. You've sinned. You've fallen. You're alienated. You cannot have access to God. And God wanted everyone to know this through the building of the tabernacle. And in Exodus chapter 26, you have the Holy of Holies representing the very presence of God. And are all Israel allowed in the holy presence of God? No, because they've sinned. And what is it blocks the holy place from the rest? A curtain. And what's on this curtain? The cherubim, showing that man does not have access to God because of sin. And so the angels, by their own experience, know man has no right, but should only ever be destroyed in hell. But then God steps forth and he says, let me show you my grace. Let me show you how loving and merciful I am. Let me show you how completely undeservedly I will save sinners. By grace are ye saved through faith. And the angels are astounded. Do you want to know why they're astounded? Because mankind is not the only fallen creature. Angels in heaven know their own kind also fell. A portion of the heavenly host sinned against God and fell. They're called demons, devils. Of course, the leader, Satan himself. Not a single fallen angel will ever be saved. Not a single fallen angel will ever receive grace. But fallen mankind is saved. Fallen mankind receives the grace of God. And the angels are astounded. An angel could never sing with us. Psalm 84. The Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. An angel could never quote Ephesians 1.6 and say, That's me, to the praise of the glory of his grace. No angel could write the poetry of Christians expressing their thankfulness for grace. No angel could write by experience McShane when he said, When free grace awoke me, 
by light from on high. My legal fear shook me, I trembled to die. No refuge, no safety in self could I see. Jehovah said, can you? My Savior must be. My terrors all vanished before the sweet name. My guilty fears banished. With boldness I came to drink at the fountain, life-giving and free. Jehovah said, can you, is all things to me. An angel couldn't write those words. McShane could. And every one of you who are believers in Jesus Christ could write those words too. Because salvation reveals the grace of God and you receive it. But angels, they know the grace of God through salvation, but they never receive it. The second thing that they study is salvation in Jesus Christ. Because grace is Jesus Christ, after all. Verse 11 speaks of this salvation, which was in the prophets by the Spirit of Christ. And it's the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. The greatest object of study, the greatest mystery of salvation for the angels is the person of Jesus Christ. For millennia, the object of the angels' worship was in heaven. And 2,000 years ago, the object of the angels' worship was on earth. In a stable, born of a virgin. Great is the mystery of godliness. God manifested in the flesh. The angels announced the birth of Christ, did they not? And what did they sing? Glory to God in the highest. Because when they saw Jesus Christ, they saw God manifested in the flesh. They saw Christ, who is very God of very God. Who is the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In him all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In him all the Godhead dwelt bodily. In him Infinite, eternal, immutable, impassable, love, grace, justice, and so on and so forth. And also in him, very man of very man, they saw God come in a nature below the angels. Remember Hebrews 2. Remember Psalm 8. God did not strip down low to be an angel. He was made a little lower than the angels and was made in our flesh and blood. And in the words of Stephen Charnock, what a wonder it is that two natures infinitely distant should be more intimately united than anything in the world and yet without any confusion that the same person should have both a glory and a grief. An infinite joy in the deity and an inexpressible sorrow in the humanity. That a God upon a throne should be an infant in a cradle. The thundering creator be a weeping babe and a suffering man. Are such expressions of mighty power as well as condescending love that they may astonish men upon earth and angels in heaven. Isn't Jesus Christ the wonder of wonder to your souls, brother? Isn't Jesus Christ the mystery of mysteries to you, sister? And the angels find it also. But the person here is the one who suffers the sufferings of Christ. And the angels are amazed to see God suffer in the flesh. Remember that Christ suffered at the hands of the devil. And who was there in the temptation of the wilderness? An angel was sent from heaven. An angel saw God 
incarnate in the state of humiliation under the mockery and temptation of the archenemy himself. The angel saw God incarnate, weak and hungry and thirsty, and Satan seeking to entice him to sin. The angels see Christ and the power of darkness leashed upon him as Satan comes into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray him. And Christ, as Psalm 69 says, his heart is broken and his own friend betraying him. And the angels are astonished. The angels also see man causing the suffering of Christ. You remember Matthew 26, where Peter um, doesn't want Christ to suffer, so he takes a sword and he cuts off the ear. And Christ says, no, 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 Peter. I must drink this cup. And then it says in Matthew 26, 53, Peter, I could call on 12 legions of angels and they would stop everything, but no, I must suffer. And so the angels who see their Lord suffer at the hands of men stand back and wonder and study and examine. They would have heard the mockings. They would have seen the spitting. They would have seen the blindfolding and smacking them with the hands. Prophesy to us. Prophesy to us. They would have seen the reed being put in his hand and bowing down, oh, king of Israel, then taking the reed and smacking him in his face. They would have seen the, the men who are supposed to be his own people saying, crucify him, crucify him. But the angels didn't just see him suffer under devils or men. He saw him, of course, suffer under God. You remember the garden. You remember Gethsemane. You remember the cup of forsakenness and the cup of wrath presented to the Son of God. And he was so weak, an angel had to come and minister to him. Martin Luther was preparing to preach on Psalm 22 1 My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He read, he studied, he meditated of the words. And then he sat back in his chair and just pondered them. What does it mean that God would forsake God? He was silent for a great amount of time. Before it is said that he just arose and said, God forsaken of God, who can understand it? Those same words can be placed on the lips of angels who desire to look into these things. They would have been at the cross and in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, crucifying the Lord of glory. They were looking at the cross and Acts 20, 28, God purchased the church with his own blood. They would have seen Jehovah's fellow, the Son of God, under the three hours of darkness, the cry of dereliction, and they would have said, God forsaken of God, who can understand it? But at the cross, they would have known God more than ever else. Where do we see God's wisdom, power, mercy, grace, love, goodness, holiness, and justice more? Not in creation. Not in providence. But in salvation. You will never find the holiness of God more than at Calvary as his holy hatred is against sin in Christ. You will never find more love in God except at that cross where God commended, demonstrated his love toward us and that we were yet sinners and Christ Jesus died for us. But then the angels, it says here, look into these things, the glory that should follow. Because what happened? He was raised from the dead. And who was present at his resurrection? The angels. In John 20 verse 11 it says, One angel stood at the head where he laid, and one angel stood at the foot where he laid. And now can you see the picture? 
In Exodus chapter 25, how is the mercy seat described? One angel, the cherubim, is on one side and the other cherubim is on the other side and they're both looking towards the mercy seat. Because as the blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat, God was saying, forgiven. And so through the sacrifice of blood on the cross and the resurrection of the dead, the angel in the tomb, one at the head, one at the foot, looking in, God's propition has been satisfied. And he is risen. He is ascended. And he is now, Ephesians 1, the head of all principalities and powers in heaven. And the angels see God through the sufferings and glory of Christ. Then the third chapter of the doctrine of salvation in the university of angels. Salvation by the Holy Spirit. Verse 12 says, Which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. This is referring to Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. Where Jesus Christ pours out the Holy Spirit and the church is filled with the Spirit and preaches the gospel. Why do you exist, brother and sister? Why does First RP exist? What's the purpose of the church? Ephesians 3, 9 to 10. He says, the mysteries revealed. God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent, the purpose, that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places, angels, might be known through the church the manifold wisdom of God. See what Paul is saying? God created the church so that through the church, angels would watch and study and they would discover the manifold, the multicolored wisdom of God. Isn't that wonderful? Angels are watching you, brother and sister. Angels are examining, analyzing, and studying you. They see God in you. They see Christ in you. And therefore, they see more of the manifold wisdom of God. The angels learn more about the triune God by watching and studying you. Isn't that marvelous? At conversion... The Holy Spirit comes into our hearts, gives us a new mind, gives us repentance and faith, and we're converted. And Jesus Christ in heaven says, when you're converted, I will confess you before angels. Luke 12, verse 8. Whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. Isn't that amazing? And how do the angels of God respond to your conversion? Luke chapter 15, there is joy with the angels in heaven. When you're converted, they see God's glory in you by the Spirit and they rejoice and praise God. Or your Christian life. What's your new status now? Sons of God. Angels are sons of God by being creatures, but not by grace or adoption into the family of God. But they see a sinner. They see a rebel. And what do they see then? You are now in the family of God. And they're amazed. A holiness. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. Philippians chapter 2. God's in us, working what is pleasing in his sight. And what is that? Romans 8, conform to the image of Christ. So when the Spirit works on you, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, meekness, goodness, kindness, the angels see God in you. 
They see Christ in you. And they see the wisdom of God. Brother and sister, the angels are watching you and they're growing in their knowledge of God through the Christ and the Holy Spirit's work in your lives. Now, how should we apply this? How do we learn from the angels here? We'll restrict ourselves to two main lessons. First of all, the value of salvation. If the angels who are not saved so value salvation to study it, how much more we should value salvation who receive it? This is why the Hebrew writer says, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Because every believer says with Peter, salvation is precious. First Peter chapter 1, verse 7. The trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold. Your faith is more precious than gold. Chapter 1, verse 19. We are redeemed not with gold and silver, but with the precious blood of Christ. Chapter 2, verse 7. Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. So value Jesus Christ. This helps us when sin and dwelling sin is our lives and we take our eyes of Christ and we start to value the things of, that we see and touch and taste and feel and the world around us and all its glitter and glamour. This helps us to go back to the value of Christ. He is so precious that even angels long to study. This is an encouragement for our holiness. If we put Christ first, everything else will follow. And when we put Christ first and everything following, the angels will see that love, joy and peace and meekness and they will say, I see God on earth. I see the manifold wisdom of God through him and her. And as he and her kill sin and seek God in word and prayer, as they zealous for good works, as they uh, love one another, as they serve one another, as they do good unto others, as they share the gospel, as they live the Christian life faithfully, the angels say, I see God. And therefore, when we value salvation and he is precious to our lives, precious to our eternity, precious in our thought, word and deed, we will walk worthy of the gospel. So I don't know where people are in terms of their focus and attention spiritually right now. I don't know your mind, you don't know mine. But let this be an encouragement to us. The value of salvation and how precious Christ is. But secondly, the study of salvation. If angels who do not receive salvation have such a desire to study salvation, how much more we, who actually receive salvation, should study salvation and know God more. It's December, and like we do every December, we start to look back previous year and look forward 2022. How have you studied salvation this year? For many of us, it's seasons, isn't it? Some, you say sometimes we're better than the next. Next year, are, are we seeking just to uh, stumble into 2022 or do we have a renewed zeal and fervency to grow more in the knowledge of salvation in Jesus Christ. Well, this truth greatly motivates us, greatly animates us. If we need an encouragement, maybe you're a discouraged Christian right now. Here's your encouragement. You have such a wonderful salvation that you actually have it in Christ. And the angels who don't have it find it so wonderful, they want to study it. 
And therefore, this should motivate us to study salvation next year. If you need helps or encouragements in terms of practical, speak to any elder and speak to anyone who you know is much in the word in study. Take a book like Ephesians and just live in Ephesians for as long as you can. Get a good commentary and read slowly and meditatively and prayerfully and discover the glories of salvation in Ephesians. Or Romans or Isaiah 53, whatever you want. Or take a subject, the covenant of grace, um, the atonement, um, Christ's priesthood, whatever it is. And with a longing, fervent desire, know your God more through the study of salvation. There's so many options. But if you need help with an option, please speak to anyone you know who studies. And by studies, I don't mean seminary. I mean anyone who studies the word, in or out of seminary. And speak to elders, of course, if you'd like further advice. Because if you do study, two things will happen to you. One, you have more joy. More joy. Thomas Manton says, The happiness of the intellect lieth in the contemplation of truth, and the happiness of the will in the enjoyment of the good. So the more you engage your God-given mind on the doctrines of salvation, and your faith is believing that and trusting in that, happiness and joy by the Holy Spirit will be given to you. And you'll experience, as 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8 says, joy unspeakable and full of glory. And the second application will happen from your study is that you will persevere in your faith. How do you receive grace and peace and power to persevere? The knowledge of God. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the means, the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. According to the divine power, he's given unto us all things pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that called us. Remember the context here. Peter is writing to suffering, afflicted, persecuted saints. What are they going to do to get through it? Study salvation. Know your salvation. Believe in your salvation. And you will receive God's grace, peace, and power. And you will persevere for the suffering because your eyes are not on the seen things. Your eyes are on the unseen. And that will give you the ability to suffer with joy and persevere to the end. Let us all learn from the angels and let us all enroll in the university of angels and study the wonderful salvation we have received in Christ. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray that the Spirit of God would quicken us to an understanding of how great and wonderful our salvation is. As Peter wanted the church in Turkey to know that angels desire to study salvation, we pray we would likewise know and the angels would be our example to grow in our knowledge of God. Father, as we contemplate beginning a new year, help us to do it with a fervent longing desire to know thee more. Give us all riches from heaven as we study our salvation in Christ. Amen.